if people ask me, um, how, how do you know if you're doing a good job with your customer experience? My answer is look at the word of mouth. If, if people spontaneously start to talk about you in a positive way, you're probably doing a great job. Because of the rise of social media, the amount of energy that people and that organizations want to put into their customer service and customer experience has increased um, tremendously in the past 10 years. And they suddenly understood that this can make or break them. And that word of mouth aspect became so tangible that there's, there's been a huge improvement in customer experience. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. As your business expands and takes on new, exciting shapes, one thing you can look forward to, among many, are new ways to give your customers meaningful, lasting experiences. My talk today with Stephen Van Bailehem is directed towards the future of the customer experience. Stephen is someone I'd recommend if you want to keep your eye on the future of business, tech, and the human experience. Stephen Van Bailehem, it is great to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, uh, Joseph, and thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I'm I'm equally, if not more, thankful to to have you here. Uh, I was really impressed and amazed with some of the subject matter that you cover um, in in the time that I got to look into. Let's get these things going. I'm I'm really eager to to wrap these things up. So, opening question, very important to ask. Tell us what do you do? What are you up to these days? Well, my, my passion is to to write and publish and speak about the future of customer experience, and and that's what I've been doing basically in the past twenty twenty one years. Creating and sharing ideas about customer experience on, on multiple platforms. I've, I've written five books about it. I share my content on YouTube. I share it on, on Instagram. I write articles on my blog. I give keynote presentations about it. So that, that's, that's 100% what I do. And um, next to that, I'm an entrepreneur. I started or co-founded two companies. One is a social media agency in, in Belgium called Snackbytes. And the other one is an inspiration company where we take um, executives on inspiration tours to Silicon Valley, to Dubai, Singapore, China. Um, that company is called Nextworks. And um, yeah, th- those are two things that I, that I re- or two companies that I really enjoy working with. And we have great teams that are great clients. So I'm having a good time. I didn't even know about the about those other two, and and it wasn't for a lack of trying either. I I I just I'm I'm impressed to hear that. So let's we'll we'll, we'll see how much of that we we can get into as well. There's there's a number of things to talk about. The key thing, uh, the most important thing, um, especially I mean, for one for me uh, as an extension of, of of our audience as well is is the customer experience. And I've been you know I've I've been in a number of um of well, it's funny because like habitually I want to say customer service, right? Um, customer service being some uh, uh, typically an entry level position for somebody who they have a lot of soft skills, but they're very good at it. Um, good at communication, good at, if I'm being honest, you know, enduring abuse from the irate customers. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot that people have to, you know, uh, frankly, they have to put up with when they're in those positions. So it can be a hard job. And uh, and, and I think entry level positions tend to bear a lot of the burden and a lot of the brunt of s- some of the uh, unfortunate parts of a company. You know, sometimes you have to uh, work on the floor and you have to help people. And 
I mean, I can I can spend all day just venting about some of the uh, uh, bad experiences that I've had. I've had a lot of positive experiences too. I've had people who really appreciated the the extra attention to detail that I put into it. One lady brought in a bunch of chocolates and just because she was so thankful for the work I did. So you know, it's been a mixture of, of good and bad. Um, one thing that I noticed as my own career progressed, and I went into companies that were more. Um, attentive to the change, not only in how businesses are run, but I think also in terminology, there was a divide between when I was a customer service agent versus a customer success agent or customer experience agent. And I'm wondering if there was a um, divide between those two points for you too, in some of your earlier experience, did it for you, was it starting as customer service? And um, at what point did it really become about customer experience, regardless of like, you know, what position maybe you were taking at the, at the time? Well, I, I think that um, customer experience is broader than customer service. Uh, customer sure, service yeah, is, is typically when, when a client has, has a problem or when something went wrong, you go to customer service and you hope that those people will, will help you out. Um, so that's a ver- very specific part, uh, very specific interaction that is part of the broader customer experience. Because what is customer experience? That's that's every time that a company touches the customer, that is customer experience. And that is when you buy something, when you have a question, when you see advertisement, when when they you know dump a whole lot of stuff in a river and, and they ruin the, the climate, they, they ruin our planet. That's also part of the customer experience. So every time you touch the market, you're basically changing the perception of your audience or you have the opportunity to change the perception for the better or the worse of your customers. And, um, and, and I think this is, this is at the rise. In many organizations, they used to think customer experience means customer service and it was like a contact the customer contact center was like the only place where you needed to help and make sure that there was a great experience. Today, most business leaders know that it's much broader than that. But but still, there are a number of challenges. I mean, what, what, what you just mentioned about customer service employees, the, the crazy thing is that in most organizations, the people with the lowest wage spend, to time, spend, to, spend most of time with customers, right? And people that have the highest paycheck they hardly ever see customers in real life. So there's this huge gap and, and that's something that we need to solve. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of making sure that senior leadership of organizations comes closer to customers and that they feel direct feedback of customers, that it's not just in the form of marketing research, not just in a graph or statistics, but that just one-on-one that they, that they hear the oohs and the ahs directly from, from a customer. Because at that point, the, the impact and the empathy for customers just increases dramatically. I agree with that. I mean, one thing that um, stuck out to me, uh, you know, even as I'm I'm describing my own uh, experiences, is the disproportionality of how much of the uh, customer experience and the brand experience is on on me to convey to the customer. Whereas, you know, the further removed that they are from uh, from interacting with uh, with customers, or even frankly for employees for that matter, um, the more the only thing they really have is to look at whatever data is being accumulated in aggregate, and they have to make decisions on a much uh, on a much larger basis and a much larger scale. And you know, data tells you some things, but data doesn't always tell you the whole story. It doesn't tell you the mood that somebody is in. It, it doesn't tell you the mood that you're an employee is in. It doesn't tell you all these. What might seem banal, but they are minute, but they're still important uh, interactions. 
that all funnel uh, upwards into what ends up being a decision, hopefully for the better, but uh, not always. And then there's there's another element to this too, which I think is an important thread that I'd like to at least establish is that customer uh, experience, uh, now that you've set the term um, accurately, isn't just in, in the company's control. It's also in the control of the customer. It's in control of social media. Um, what uh, what an individual does or what citizens do um, can also affect how people uh, perceive companies. Like the example you gave, if a company dumps uh, a toxic waste into a river, is, it wasn't the company that revealed that. It was uh, it was a citizen. It was maybe a private investigator. It was maybe someone just doing you know a, a, a personal journalism. Somebody just happened to be there at the time and they caught it on video. So customer experience is no longer in control of the company. And I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but I but probably social media was the thing that pulled all the ability for the actual customers, for anybody outside of the company to control the experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, I, I tend to focus a lot on word of mouth. Uh, if people ask me, um, how, how do you know if you're doing a good job with your customer experience? My answer is look at the word of mouth. If, if people spontaneously start to talk about you in a positive way, you're probably doing a great job. And, and this is not new. We, I mean, 2,000 years ago, the, the farmer with the best vegetables, that, that's what people talked about. And, and he was successful because of that. But you're absolutely right. Uh, social media was a tipping point because suddenly people had a larger community, a larger network. Suddenly the voice of the customer became more transparent. People could actually hear what people were saying. It used to be in, in behind closed doors or in in bars or restaurants, and now it was in the open. In the, in the past, you had the opportunity to speak one-on-one with a customer. Today, I mean, if, if you're in, in customer service and you're, you're having a conversation with a customer, you should always take into account that it can be recorded, that it can be filmed. It's like you're, you're playing in a full football stadium these days, which makes it more sensitive and makes a lot of companies freak out. Huh? They become scared because of that. But the good thing is that because of the rise of social media and all the things that I just mentioned, the uh, amount of energy that people and that organizations want to put into their customer service and customer experience has increased um, tremendously in the past 10 years because they suddenly you know, came so much closer to the customer and they suddenly understood that this can make or break them. And that word of mouth aspect became so tangible that there's, there's been a huge improvement in customer experience. We're not there yet. Huh? We're not there yet. We all have our bad experiences. But if we would go back to, I mean, 2002, I think we would be surprised how much lower the service standards were back then. Um, one thing that I would also uh, uh, expect to have changed too is the... Uh, distribution of authority. I, I think when brands were in full control of their message and were both message and messenger exclusively, um, I think there was a lot more consumer trust that the company was uh, acting in everybody's best interest. And so it it, it took it to, for me. I remember you know, being in school, and the first time I remember a, a company doing something egregious, it was seeing a, a protest for 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 Nike, the uh, the, athletic, the athletics company. I didn't even know what it was they were doing. All I knew was that they were in trouble. So there, because there was only a small amount of um, pushback. It was. I wasn't fully aware what the company had done. All I had known is that you know they they were being bad, and and that, and that was all I had with it. So uh, I, I like to hear your, your take on that as well. Is that uh, have uh, have companies lost their ability to be their own authority? And if so, is that a good thing? 
I think there are too many companies that have become afraid to become an authority, to be honest. Uh, the, the companies now hear the pushback from the market. Uh, imagine that you have a certain opinion and you put it out there as an organization. I mean, there are always people who, who don't agree and you have people that may react aggressively or very negatively. In the past, you didn't know. Huh? You, you had your advertisement, your PR, and you, I mean, you were happy with it. And then... You, you saw the results in your sales figures. Today, if you have an opinion, especially about sensitive topics, there's a lot of pushback. And, and because of that, many organizations just try to avoid being an authority. I believe that's the wrong strategy. I think that today, as an organization, you, try, you have to try to become a thought leader. And, and maybe if you're in B2B markets, it's a thought leader about your industry, about how the industry is evolving. Whereas if you're an, a B2C company, maybe you should have an opinion about certain topics that matter to a lot of people in society. I, I saw a piece of research when, um, I think it was earlier this year or last year, when the movement of Black Lives Matters really, really became a, a big topic in, in the US and in, and in Europe as well. Um, I saw a piece of research where they investigated what, customers expect from organizations related to Black Lives Matters. And, and what was really interesting is that if you didn't say anything, it was by definition negative. So being neutral was by definition negative. The market really expected every organization to take a stand and to, to make sure that they were doing the right thing and that they were helping the world to become more diverse and that everyone had equal rights. They were expecting them. That was the first thing they expected. They also expected them to contribute and to support in an active way, using the strengths of their organization to make a difference. And um, I think that too many organizations are way too afraid. They're too scared. And you just have to take into account, if you don't have an opinion, people don't talk about you at all. If you have an opinion where you try to do the right thing and related to your values, and you believe in that, you should always say those words and just put them out there and live with the fact that there is a percentage of people who will disagree and that maybe react in a very negative way. But don't just focus on that. Also understand that you're trying to defend the values that you believe in and that you will attract a lot of people that really support that as well. You can never say something that everyone agrees with. If you try to do something that everyone agrees with, you're you're the average of the average of the average, and you have zero zero impact with that. You know that's a that's an um, an important insight because you know I remember um, it, it was last summer when the uh, Black Lives Matter movement had uh, reached what I would say is it, it, the apex in in its overall um, movement, and and ev everything no matter what I did there was a a, a message regarding it. Um, you, you know, even go, going on to play Call of Duty uh, with with my brother, you know, Call of Duty had to get in on it too and say, we, you know, we support Black Lives Matter. And if I'm being honest, and you know, I think that's one of the things that if if you know if we're gonna um, uh, illustrate these points, is I'm gonna have to be honest. I was more annoyed than anything about it. You know, I I, I would like to know that I have my own autonomy and that I can form my own opinion. And yes, Black Lives Matter. Is, pretty much a no-brainer so there was to me there was something uh, uh, of a feeling of, of of pandering where you know they were just trying to make sure that they were um a, a greasing that that particular market they were buttering them up but what i didn't know is that if they had said nothing that would actually have uh, put them into more hot water than if yes actually well less hot water than if they were to oppose it 
yeah. that would have been exactly. less hot water. But the fact exactly. that they would have been hot water at all for doing nothing, I think it's, it's almost like there's like a cultural inflation, uh, which I just it made is, up now. It's just the idea that when, you know, once culture moves the Overton window, if you don't keep up, you know, you're, you're seen as either compliant or uh, in opposition. Yeah. And, and there's a second uh, target group as well for that. And that's your own employees. Um, if, if, if you work for an organization and they don't, you know, speak out about certain topics, not just Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matters, but also other topics, climate change. I mean, there's so many sensitive topics right now. If they don't speak out, the employees, I mean, are disappointed that they work for an organization that doesn't have an opinion. So, and because of that, you're having inflation of, of those kind of statements, but still, most of them, in my opinion, did it in a way too neutral way, did it in, in a safe way. Uh, just saying we support Black Lives Matter. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, it would be really bad if you're not supporting it. But do you mean it? Can you show us that you mean it? What are your actions behind it? How are you going to make a difference? Are you going to put a, it's almost putting a sticker on your windshield of your car versus we're going to contribute to something and we're going to add value to the discussion. And you only have an impact when you're starting to add value and you're contributing and not just putting a sticker on the windshield of your car. And, and, you know, most of them think, okay, we need to put a sticker on the windshield of the car then we're safe and we're done with it. And, and we don't have to say anything else anymore. And that's perfectly fine, but then you don't have any impact on your customers whatsoever. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, threads that this opens up because uh, you know it, there there's a political element to it. And for what it's worth, I'm more than happy to to, to keep going on, on this thread. Just so you know, some of it I think also has to do with you know if you are allowing culture to um, to dictate everything and you're always giving ground to them, what ends up happening is that a company loses their ability to have any autonomy whatsoever. And and I, I will say, you know. It, I, I pay atten- pretty. I pay pretty careful attention to the news. Um, there was a great deal of uh, of damage done over the course of the last summer. Um, it misrepresented what the um, the honorable uh, part of BLM uh, stands for, uh, and uh, you know people took to the streets and they smashed windows and they set cars on fire and and people were hurt and people lost their lives. And and you have to wonder, you know, at what point are companies giving a little too much uh, credence to this? Um, where maybe they've they've gone over the line and now they're they're supporting a, a cause a little bit too much because if you give somebody ground, they will continue to take more ground and and they'll keep on taking and taking and taking until there's none left and then they'll ask for more anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult uh, discussion. I and I, I I like to look at it from a senior leadership point of view in an organization and asking yourself what do we need to do and. I think that you have your own values as an organization and you have to believe them and have to act upon them. Otherwise, you may as well just delete them from your PowerPoint deck, right? And then you have two audiences. You have three audiences where it needs to land. That's your employees. For me, that's that's the first group of people that has to be you know, fully with you in terms of what you're going to say linked to your values. Then you have your customers, then you have the rest of society. And, and, and it's a matter of what you want people to, to remember what you stand for and how are you going to make sure that they remember that and how are you going to make sure that they the ones that like it that that they feel supported and often there's a downside to that and um, if that downside becomes too too large we need to we need to probably change course without you know um, stepping away from our own values but most of the time 
when you have values and you stick to them and you communicate about them and you contribute to that, both internally to customers and to society, the large majority of people will appreciate that. And, and that will you know, make, make the relationship stronger and the world maybe a little bit better. And if a small minority uses it in a wrong way, that's a very sad thing. But I think you need to accept that 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 can happen. Because if you're not willing to accept that, you will always play the safest ball you can play. And you may as well do nothing. So I think if you do something, if you want to step out there, if you want to be a thought leader, you have to do something that has an impact on your market as well. Uh, it's, if, you, if you broaden the scope and, you, and, and we think about CSR, there are so many companies that are doing something with CSR. They're donating money, and that's great that they're doing that. But reality is that most of the time, their customers don't even know about it, that their own employees don't even know about it. I think you can. what you need to try to do is have a positive impact on society, try to change your world, but from within, from your own strengths, your own beliefs, in, in a way that it's that it can be linked back to your business and then you can have an, a positive impact. Huh? It's, it's like if you believe in diversity, imagine that, I mean, every company should believe in diversity, but take a company like Google. They believe in diversity. They want to attract as many talent as possible. They want to create products for everyone. Last week, they, they announced at IO that they're going to have this skin app where you can just look at your own skin and it's a, an AI tool that will allow you to detect uh, if you have skin cancer or if something's wrong with, with certain parts of your skin. And then they will recommend a doctor that can help you with that. If you tell the world that you're into diversity, you have to make sure that the data set that was used to develop that app comes from a diverse audience. And that you didn't just do that with, for instance, white people. Uh, and that it, it has a less accurate impact on the skin of black people. I mean, if you pledge for diversity in every product that you launch, you have to feel that. And that's what Google did. If, if I read the research reports right, they used 60,000 people to develop that app. And it was a spread among all kinds of ethnic groups. And, and then you're showing the world that you actually care about the things that you're saying that you care. It's not just about provocative things. It's also in the products that you launch that you can show that you care about diversity. And that's what Google did with this new app, for instance. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about that app. But one thing I would love to uh, tell our audience about, just so they understand more what uh, Stephen's content is about, is that you're very future-facing. You know, you've been keeping your eye on you know, what's unfolding in, within the next weeks and months, uh, years, and, um, and I would imagine a few cases, you know, even what's going to happen uh, decades from now. Okay, so I had this question. This is a this is like top five silliest questions I've ever asked on the show. <laughs> but I th I think we can relate this in a way that's productive. So there's a, there's a bit of wisdom that uh, a former uh, a client that I had worked with a while ago. He because he was into wrestling. He said eventually everything has to do with wrestling, and he's not wrong because wrestling is is theater and it it's a way of magnifying really all of life because wrestlers come from all over the world. They represent different ideas and it gets into a whole thing. Um, and I also remember, you know, my, my brother, he's also big into wrestling too. And he says something very similar to what you said uh, earlier, which is about the idea of having no reaction whatsoever. He said, the last thing you want is to walk out to a crowd that has no reaction whatsoever. If they're cheering, great. If they're booing, 
some people actually take to that because in wrestling, you have to have the bad guys. They're referred to as the heels and you have your heroes, which refer to as faces. So the reason why I ask this, because I wonder if there is a productive element to a company taking more of a heel role rather than a face role. I think there are companies that tend to be um, you know, attacked um, and, and often fairly so. Um, for instance, I think Amazon gets attacked quite a bit because you hear about the conditions uh, that the employees endure and that their turnover rate is somewhere in the realm of 100%. And, and yet people still use Amazon. So there are places where you can have somewhat of a of a negative effect if it compels positivity to wash it over. Um, negativity can drive positivity. And I'm wondering if there's any um, uh, any experience from your end that can substantiate or refute that. I think the large majority, almost everyone tries to be the hero in the movie. Uh, that, that's what every company hopes to achieve that they get applauded at. And then you have a few exceptions. Um, I think Amazon has a lot of fans. It's not that people don't like Amazon. They're very happy with the service, but sometimes it feels like a trade-off. Some people think, okay, I love working with Amazon, but it's so sad that their their staff is treated in a way that doesn't feel okay. But hey, I don't have an alternative, so I'm going to work with, with Amazon. The day that you would have an Amazon 2.0 that has the exact same service and their employees are the happiest in the world, probably we would all change to that company. But we don't always have the alternative. And you have a few companies that are so well positioned in their market that they can they can get away with it. I mean, Facebook is another one. Huh? Facebook has has such a bad image in terms of, of taking the responsibility related to fake news and, and how elections are being manipulated. But still, I mean, we, we just have Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, and I cannot live without those tools. So I live with the fact that they're not doing a good job on another level. And then you have companies that have, I mean, if I look to all the stuff that I write about and talk about, about customer experience, then you have companies that almost do the opposite and are still very successful. Take a company like Ryanair. Uh, Ryanair is, is, is probably the worst airline we have in Europe. Uh, it's terrible service. It's a terrible experience. But they do two things really well. They're extremely cheap. Right now, it's so cheap that you even get a euro to step on their plane. Can you imagine that? It's a negative price that they have today on certain, of their, on certain routes. So it's, it's a crazy model. But they're extremely cheap. And they almost always arrive on time. They're very, very efficient. And then the crazy thing is they promise you a bad experience and you get a bad experience. But because the promise was a bad experience, you can live with it and they live up to their expectations. And then it comes to expectation management. You know what you're going to get and they deliver that. And then you can get away with it because there's no alternative that is so cheap and that has a like a VIP experience that doesn't exist. So, so you have some companies that are so extremely positioned that they get away with it, but most of the time they still fulfill the promise. They still do what you expect them to do. Even if you don't like it or if you don't agree, they stick to that promise. And because that at a certain level, there's a lot of value being brought to you, you live with the downsides. So you have a few of those, but but it's the minority. It's it's it wouldn't be a good idea for Starbucks to say, okay, let let's copy paste that bad experience ID from Ryanair, um, and and that worked out well for them. Let's copy paste that. That wouldn't be a good strategy because there's so many alternatives for Starbucks, but there's no alternative for Ryanair or Facebook or Amazon. Right. 
You know, you, you, um, I, I briefly flashed back to a, uh, a restaurant experience that I had. Uh, we went on a, a field trip to uh, Chicago in the States, and it was like a it's like a vintage 1950s diner. And I don't know how historically accurate it was, but the the servers just nonstop were shouting at us, and that was part of the experience. It was just it, it was like a, almost like a form of catharsis, where right. you know they're just they're just going to treat us like dirt. And in a way, it was it was enjoyable because it was such a pattern interrupt. So, uh, but that that gets into more of like you know doing it for the sake of entertainment rather than there being right. you know some 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 issues everybody knows about. A Ryanair, that's that's an interesting one. But you know, the, it's it's cost benefit analysis. Yeah, they're going to treat me like dirt, but I'm getting there on time and I get a euro out of it. So yeah, that's that's fascinating. I I didn't know about that one. I don't uh, I, I don't ever leave my apartment, let alone get on um, European <laughs> airlines. <laughs> One of the questions that I had uh, that I had chambered, and you know, we were basically like halfway through it. You know, is you know, are there customer experiences that you know stick out in your mind? You know, even to this day, my my guess is, you know, being a speaker, you've probably traveled on Ryanair, and therefore you've had firsthand experience. Um, so along those lines, are there any other ones that you know, even on your mind right now, are still uh, fresh, positive, or negative? Oh, I, I I always try to look for positive experiences. I, I just heard this story the other day of an insurance company, and, and there are not that many insurance companies that you know that you link to great customer service. But there there's this one, and and this guy called this insurance company. It's 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 from the Netherlands. It's uh, called Central Beheer. It's part of the Agmia Group, and um, he had bad news. He had a, a friend of the family that passed away unexpectedly. And he wanted to stay in the Netherlands to go to, to his funeral, but he had booked a trip. So he called his insurance company and said, hey, I have this uh, insurance that in case that I have to cancel a trip that you're, I'm getting refunded. But usually those kind of insurances are only being applied when it's a close family member, a first line family member that passes away or when you become really ill yourself. So this insurance company is like, oh, we're very sorry to hear so. And, and of course, we're going we're gonna to reimburse you. And then he said, yeah, but I just want to make sure it's, it's, not, it's not a relative. It's, it's a friend of our family. And the answer of that insurance person was in, in the service center was, it's not up to us to decide who you can love and who's important to you. And when I heard that, I was like, this is such a wonderful answer. I mean, this, 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 this guy was in, in, in grief. He was extremely sad. And then they give him an answer like that. And I've heard him telling that experience and that, that, um, that story like 20 or 30 times now. And he will never forget that. And it's those kind of small details that often make a huge difference. And, and I'm always looking for those small details. Um, and sometimes it's a mindset. Like I think Netflix is, is, is a really interesting one to look into. Usually Netflix works fine, but if, there's, if, if something goes wrong, if you don't have access to Netflix and it's their mistake, they will proactively refund you for that month. They will not wait until you ask for a refund. They will proactively do it. That shows me that you have a culture of being customer centric. Uh, another example is like when, when I think about opposing interests, it's always interesting to look at how a company reacts when there's an opposing interest. Uh, imagine that you have a bank account, a sleeping bank account for three or four years. You don't use it at all, but every year you pay a fee for, to have that bank account. How do you react as a bank? You could say, hey, we're, gonna, we're, we're not gonna tell Joseph. I mean, we're making easy money here and this is, we're gonna let him sleep. 
But the good thing to do is to call you and say, hey, Joseph, you have the sleeping bank account. We just want to let you know if you want to if you want to shut it down, that's fine. And we're going to refund you for the five years that you paid us and we didn't give you any value. That's an opposing interest. And there are not that many organizations that react from a customer point of view in such a situation. A great example was Airbnb in January this year when there were some issues in, uh, in Washington, D.C. when the new president came in. Um, there were a lot of people who, who booked a, a room or an apartment in Washington, D.C. through Airbnb. And what they've done is they did their research and it, they, they, they tried to find out if the people who rented out the place, if they were extremists that, that were going to Washington, D.C. For, for vandalism or for you know, very aggressive protests. And when they found people like that, they basically canceled the, the deal. That's an opposing interest. They lost money, but they believed that that was the right thing to do for their other customers and for people who rent out apartments in Washington. So when you have an opposing interest, that's the moment very often that you can see that, it, that the company is really customer-centric or not. I, and I think to be fair too, um, it, it, it could come from a place of pure altruism, but I think that there's enough evidence um, in the data spreads to show that you know, when you when you make these uh, these decisions, it should also yield a uh, a better improvement for the overall company. If um, you know, it, it, let's just say that there was a, a van a vandal or there was a, a someone who uh, turned it into a, into a violent opportunity, well, that would cost the company uh, a lot of bad rep- a lot of money, uh, a lot of reputation. And unless they're uniquely positioned to be the only way for somebody to stay somewhere when they're not, then that would end up doing them harm anyway. So I, I think there is a uh, there is an assessment. There is yeah, you you do the right thing, and for the most part, doing the right thing should help the company anyways. Of course, and in the long run, it always does. I mean, take the example of the sleeping bank account. If you find out after five years that you've paid that you paid a bank a couple of hundred dollars for nothing, you're going to become extremely angry, and you may take away all the future business. Whereas if they call you and say Hey Joseph, we just figured this out. This, this is not good. We're going to refund you for those five years. You're going to be so positively surprised that you will stay with that bank for the next couple of years. And every time that you have something financially that you need to get, you will go to them because you will trust them that they will treat you in a decent way. Also, your your Netflix example um, stick out to me too, just because I remember. I don't want to throw any of our phone companies under the bus, but here in Canada we have like two, so it's not hard to dig it up. But um, we would we would hear the like you know maybe the internet service was down for for a few hours. I said, well, we'll refund you for the few hours that it was down. I'm like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, that's uh, really 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 appreciate that. Like the fact that Netflix you know goes okay, you were inconvenienced for a few days, but. I think we can just stand to give you another month anyway. So, you know, a little, exactly. little, little extra, um, little extra, uh, little extra the candy cost? there, I think. What's the cost in the long run? Yeah, Nothing. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. This next question I have, um, I want to uh, uh, do this one specifically for our um, our, our dropshipping crowd. Um, dropshipping is very uh, important to, to my audience because a lot of us, we want to become brand owners and we want to 
you know, really get into uh, into it. And for a lot of us, we're we're fighting a one person battle until we have the means to hire you know, our first VA. Right. So your your customer experience trends video on YouTube right now stands currently as your most viewed video. Um, it's yeah. pretty clear to see why. It's a, there's a lot of important information about what's to come. So I asked my audience to check it out um, just so they can see it at, at full. But for brand owners who are fighting a one person battle, um, what customer experience trends should they be looking out for or what ones can they uh, adopt into their business that would help give them uh, an early edge? I would go for two two strategies. First one is be more human than anyone else. Uh, so figure out a way how you can how you can make it all more personal. Uh, and I know that requires an effort, and I know there's not a lot of time, but there's, for instance, a big difference between receiving an emailing versus receiving an email. Uh, if you send out one thousand emails, there's a big chance that people that that maybe ten people will open them up because they see it's a it's yeah it's the same for everyone and it's boring and you don't like it you don't like emails so you delete it versus what if you write 100 personal emails to people who bought stuff on your platform there's a big chance that 80 percent of them will look into it because it's a personal mail from the owner of the company that is thanking you to do business with them and that personalization and making it personal making it more human. That would be a first strategy that I would use. And the second one is I would try to outwork my competitors and the others in the market in terms of content production. It's something that I personally believe in. I'm, I'm a one-man company. That's not really fair to say because my, my wife is also in, in my business for my keynote. So it's the two of us, but it's still a small company. Um, but we produce a lot of content together. I, I have a Two podcasts. I have uh, a weekly video, multiple videos in between. I have every day something on Instagram. I'm, I'm sharing stuff on LinkedIn. I have my blog on my own platform. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into that. And in the beginning, you're basically over-investing because there's only a few hundred people that are checking you out and you think, why am I doing all this work? But after a while, you're building an audience, you're building a community. People start to like it. People find you through the content. They appreciate the work that you do and you're growing your business. And if you produce more content than others in the industry and it's valuable content, in the long run, that will be an enormous partner in your business to, to make a difference. So that, those are like two strategies that I'm, that I'm a big believer in and I apply them myself in my work as well. And and those are both um, uh, options that can be uh, adopted, even if somebody is just setting their brand up uh, right from the get go. Um, it's it's not Absolutely. difficult to it's... to fire up the camera and do and do videos. It's not difficult to write an email. You know, I think once I've written one, the the, the format is is there. You know, I could probably use it on on a few more people as well. Just yeah, but it and it's sometimes you can be very efficient. Uh, I, a couple of times a year, not always, but sometimes I make content that I really think is cool and I want to share it with a lot of people like my trends video that that, that scored really well on YouTube and, and I, I sometimes bring out an ebook or something like that. So when I bring a piece of content out that I think is really valuable, I, I write over a weekend 1,500 emails to my customer base of the last few years. And I, of course, I have like a, a part of that mail is, is the same for all people, but I personalize them. And it's not a mailing. A mailing would take me one hour those 1,500 emails, emails take me two full days, but the impact that I have with them is just huge. It, I always instantly get business out of it because people appreciate the personal effort. 
And it's, it's just most people don't want to do the work, but if you want to do the work, you're going to have an impact with it. I guarantee you that. I, I'll, I'll tell you a, a brief story too, just to back this up. So this comes from my, um, uh, from my days when I was in the Toronto comedy scene. And it's always better to wait until it made the guests laugh before I say that. So, uh, but anyways, <laughs> I, um, there, you know, a lot of people were trying to put on shows because getting onto the, um, uh, onto the clubs was difficult. There was a lot of supply or sorry. A lot of demand, not a lot of supply. So, you know, people were putting on their own shows and some of them didn't have much turnout. One show that I remember always had a good turnout. And you know why? Because the host of the show was talking to people on Facebook one by one. Sent a, sent a personal message to say, hey, we're doing the show. Here's some of the people. We would love to have you have you come out. And, you know, it, 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 it felt very personal. And because it was, and if I were to, you know, say, say, thanks, by the way, you know, how are things going? And the next thing you know, you know, she's having like a bunch of conversations and is strengthening and nourishing her network, um, as well as expanding it. So, I mean, it, 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 it works in, in, in your realm. It works in that realm. It, it, it works. I, that much works. I, I 100% agree with. Yeah. People appreciate the personal effort and it's a very simple strategy. It's zero budget. You just need to do the work. I wanted to make sure we, 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 we put some time into this episode to, to let people know about your book. It's uh, the offer you can't refuse. You've, you, you, you put out other published material as well. Uh, this one's received high praise from Forbes, one of the test, 10 most read business books of 2020. So uh, congrats uh, to, to that. What are some of the main discussion points that compel the reader, like some of the main premises that you uh, convey in the book? Well, uh, in the offer you can't refuse, I, I, I discuss the future of customer experience. And I try to look what, what, what kind of components can you add to your customer relation to eventually reach an offer people can't refuse. And the research showed that there are four components that people value today. Uh, and and the, let's say the most basic one, the minimum demand, is of course having a good product at a good price with good customer service. That's like the minimum demand. Um, without that, it's really hard to compete. Uh, that's obvious. Then you have digital convenience, which is also becoming a commodity. Uh, people expect things to go in a fluent way. We know how things works now, how things work. So digital convenience is also becoming part of the new minimum. And then there are two additional dimensions where you can differentiate yourself with. The, the first one is partner in life. Asking yourself how you can positively, positively have an impact on people's lives, where you understand the human behind the customer, where you understand that every human has like a movie of, of her or his life in their head with things that we hope for, things that we are afraid of, um, ambitions that we have. And the better you understand that, the better you will be able to become a partner in life of people. And then the, the, the top, the last component, the fourth component is changing your world, using your own strengths to have a benefit, to create a benefit for society. And, and those four components, great product service price, digital convenience, partner in life, changing your world. Individually, each of those four components bring value to the modern customer. But if you manage to bring them down in one conversation, one experience, that's the moment when you create an offer you can't refuse for your customers. So that, that's the very short pitch of the whole story. Yeah, and it, it ties in the you know the threads that we were working on throughout the, the course of this episode. Um, I think one of the things that stuck out to me when I was, uh, when I was doing my digging is you know, the idea that convenience is... Uh, such a uh, standard for what customers uh, uh, expect as part of the experience. We do have to go um, the extra steps to, and those extra steps include, you know, being uh, being a partner, having a positive impact, and really 
meaning that mission and, and changing things in a way that's tangible. No, exactly. Exactly that. So, so, here's a, so here's a question. This was more of a personal one for me, but I, I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to terminology. Like I tell people <laughs> that I do a podcast, but if I told people that I did radio, they would uh, they would like kind of like nod their heads a little bit more and say, okay, you know, he's a, he's a radio guy. Okay, I get it. But the podcast, I had to then follow up and say, I'm paid for this, by the way. Because, uh, you know, people have different stereotypes or, or preconceived notions of it. Uh, and, and that's just one of them too. You know, I, I, there was another one I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but I, I, I would talk about it all the time. So I'll just skip it. Maybe it'll come back to me later. I'll, e- I'll have to email you. <laughs> and I wanted to ask the same question about even the term customer, because I, I sometimes think that the term customer doesn't fully appreciate the relationship that they have with the business um, because they become, they can become ambassadors. You talk about the user generated content, you talk about the community that builds up around a brand. So do you feel that the term customer fully appreciates the relationship that they have with the business or in your utopian view of the world, do you think there's maybe a more accurate term for it? No, it's a very valid point. Uh, Thank you. Customer is, is very, it's a small part of the relationship. Right? It's, it's, it's humans that, that connects with each other. And, and there's so much more indeed that a human can do for your organization. You can become an employee, you can become a shareholder. You can become an influencer. You become indeed an ambassador. And, and the question is, what do you want to create? And I think at the end of the day, probably you don't need customers. You need fans. I had the pleasure to, to share the stage with, and I forgot his name, but maybe you can help me. His first name is Bruce, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. Uh, I'll look it up for you. Yeah. But anyway, Bruce, and he's, he's one of the coolest guys I've ever shared the stage with. He, he flies his own plane and he has all these cool stories. And I had to present just in before him. And I was talking about customers, customers, customers all the time. And then he came on stage and he says, you know, the previous guy was talking about customers all the time. That's nonsense. Right? You don't need customers. You need fans. I will never forget that sentence because he says your fans don't go away when you sing a bad song. Your fans can accept it that you bring out an album that isn't as good as the previous one. And they will wait until you bring out the next one, and they will support you in that process. Your fans will put a tattoo of your brand on their arms, and they will buy merchandise to show the world that they really care about you. To our video audience, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can speak to that. There you go. So you're absolutely right. Maybe at the end of the day, you don't need customers, but you need fans and ambassadors. And if you succeed in that, you will always be successful. And uh, the, the fellow's name, by the way, uh, Bruce Dickinson. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course, Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if it's Ska, I can uh, come up with it at the top of my head, but everything else I have to research. <laughs> so I've got you for, I don't have you for, for too much longer. Uh, I've got you for about an, another eight minutes. Um, I did have a, a question here. This is like a philosophical one uh, for you, just because, you know, you're, you're really keeping your eye on how things are, are unfolding. However, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 100 years. So we speak a lot about, you know, what's going to change in the customer experience. So this is a very far reaching question, but have you ever thought about what the day would look like where we no longer have people who are paying for other people's services, where we no longer have customers. I guess this somewhat ties into the idea of now we turn into fans, but I think it has more to do not just with them, but also with the structure of business altogether. Yeah, yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, we're going to probably end up in a world where every customer is also a business on its own. Uh, there, there's a nice example that is unfolding right now. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the website Shein. Xi'an, I've heard of it. Xi'an, it, it, last week, um, there was breaking news about Xi'an. It's a fashion platform, e-commerce. 
It is now in the United States, the most used shopping app. Amazon is on number two and Shein is on number one. What most people don't know in Europe and the US is that it is a Chinese platform and they were below the radar for a very long time. They've been growing more than 100% per year in the last eight years. And now more than 50% of all the website visits on fashion platforms is for them. So they have more visitors than Nike, H&M, Zara, and all those platforms all together. They're huge. And they're like the TikTok of fashion. What means that that they look at the data points. They look at what you find popular, what you like, what you don't like. And then in real time, they will ask to creators out there to create new fashion items that they will design. Sometimes they even make only 10 pieces of it to see if it works or doesn't work. But the production is not being done by professional fashion people. It's done by individuals like you and me. It's done by creators. So they have millions of creators that are making fashion for them. And because of that, the, the amount of money that you need to invest to create a new fashion item is so much lower and the fact that they that sell it directly to the end user and that they don't have the fixed retail in between makes that they can sell it at very, very cheap prices and still make money because of that. But this is a new system. This is a new world where the customer is also the creator and where it's more a community of people doing stuff together. And Shein is almost like the platform that's facilitating that. So the question is, who's the customer of who? I mean, who am I buying from? I, it's, it's totally unclear And it's a complete new way of working. And the easier it becomes for every individual to make something, to create both physical assets or digital assets, the flatter that relationship and and the, the, the more networked that relationship will become. Yeah, you know, as you as you're describing this, you know, I'm even thinking about some of the uh, seeds that had already been planted. Because again, we talk about social media and how you know any one individual, regardless of even if they're not. Even they haven't set up their own store or maybe dropshipping or even any of this e-commerce doesn't interest them, but they can still become their own brand. They can become their own influencer. They have a presence on Instagram. They can have a presence even on, on Facebook. They have a presence pretty much anywhere they want. So um, one thing that I think has certainly been established at this point, uh, given our technology uh, and how um, relevant the online uh, component of, of life is now, is that anybody who wants to elevate themselves can do it. So now it's actually a game of willpower, I think. True. Do you have the persistence, perseverance to, to make it happen and to, to stay in the game long enough? Excellent. So um, before, I have two questions left for you. Well, actually, I have like 15 here. Like I said, we, these things, <laughs> they just kind of like uh, go, go off and I prefer to do that anyways. Um, so I'll give you my wrap-up question in a moment. But first, this is going to be a really fast one. Um, what's one technology that excites you and one that frightens you? And I'll tell you mine just to give you a chance to stew. So what excites me are NFTs uh, because it gives uh, digital content creators an ability to individualize digital media where before it would not have any individual quantifiable value. What frightens me is virtual reality. You know, the idea that it turns into Ready Player One and everybody is just putting on the headsets and, and stopped living. So that, that scares the daylights out of me. But uh, I'd like to hear your take. All right. I, I cannot wait to, to have a virtual assistant that really works well. I'm, I'm really waiting for the iPhone after the BlackBerry moment for virtual assistants. Uh, I, I think that would make my life a lot easier. And I'm really scared about deep fakes. I think we're going to have a lot of trouble with that in the next couple of years. 
Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's bad. That's, that, that's highly bad. Uh, that, that's why I, a part of me just constantly wants to start writing really inappropriate things on Twitter just to kind of like get ahead of it. You can't blackmail me. I'm blackmailing myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, there's some things in my draft uh, folder that I just, anyways. So with that, we're going to get you on out of here. So our final wrap up question, if there's any final bits of advice or like a Chinese proverb you really like, you're welcome to share it and then let our audience know how they can look into what you do. And I highly recommend they do. All right. Well, well. Thanks for that. People, people can or a recommendation is uh, what I need to give. Huh? Don't listen too much to to feedback of people that are too negative. I think you need to surround yourself with people who can be as excited about things as yourself. That makes life a lot easier. That you don't have to waste any energy in convincing people all the time. So I think that's a crucial one when you think about building a team. Um, and then where they can find me, um, basically on all social networks, uh, my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash my name, Stephen Van Bellingham. Then I share a lot on Instagram. That's just my full name, at Stephen Van Bellingham. Uh, I have um, a podcast that they can check out. And my website is myname.com. I have a blog there with many articles about the future of customer experience. Excellent. All right. Everywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, that, that's everything that we've got uh, for today. So as always to my audience, uh, it is a, a joy and a pleasure to be able to do this show so that I can learn all this information and I can meet these people and I can convey that information to all of you. So thank you all for, for your time and your engagement. And, and please give uh, please give, give our guests uh, some of that attention as well. It, um, it means a lot to have their time and uh, I, I hope all of you will, will, will do your part. And so with that, take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>